0: Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together, We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and we are taking a bit of a different direction today. So we talk a lot about birth. We talk about babies and a little bit about yoga, but I thought today we would dive a little bit more into the yoga aspect. So some of you guys know a bit about my own history and and practice of yoga, Um, and one of the main places that influenced Prenatal Yoga Center and my own teaching was Om Yoga, and I had the fortune of actually studying with Cindy Lee when I did my training. So I invited Cindy on, and we're going to chat about her and about her journey into Om Yoga, um, Om Yoga itself the community aspect, and really what it meant for myself and so many of the yogis in New York, and truly how it influenced the creation of Prenatal Yoga Center. So for those of you that are more in the the birth and baby world and you don't know about Cindy, let me tell a little bit about her. Cindy Lee is the first female Western yoga teacher to fully integrate yoga asana and Tibetan Buddhism in her practice and teaching. In 1998 she founded the Om Yoga Center in New York City, which became a mecca for yogis worldwide. One of the most influential teachers in the US, Cindy is known for her dynamic and contemplative classes, creative, safe, and sane sequencing, smart and soulful teachings, all offered in a non-competitive yoga environment of goodness. When she's not on the mat and cushion, Cindy writes her newest book is the New York Times, critically acclaimed May I Be Happy, a memoir of love, yoga, and changing my mind. Other books include Yoga Body, Buddha Mind, and *Om Yoga, A Guide to Daily Practice. She writes regularly for Yoga Journal, Shambhala Sun, Yoga International, and Tricycle Magazine. Her frequent TV appearances include The Dr. Oz Show, Live with Regis and Kathie Lee, Good Morning America, and a cameo in Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun video, which she Choreographed in 1983. Cindy holds an MFA in dance from UC Irvine and is a longtime student of Gallic Ricpoche. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for taking your time to speak with me today. Hi Deb. How are you? Good. It's so great to chat with you. I have to tell you, New York misses you. Oh, well. It's mutual. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about what drew you into practicing yoga. Cause I know you came from a dance background, actually interesting, like so many yoga teachers. So if we can start just a little bit about you and your, your background, um, what drew you to practicing yoga, not just asana, but I also know that you're deeply into meditation. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, um, it was, you know, many years ago, uh, when I was in college, and I went to Chapman College which is now called Chapman University and we had a requirement to take a PE class and back in the day I was very slight and I had been dancing growing up I'd taken ballet lessons and um, I was really into it and um, and but I was really bad at sports because I was just kind of too little and you know I was with the ball came toward me I just Hid my head, you know. So they had a yoga class. So I took yoga. And that was fun and I liked it. It was interesting. And I liked reading um the autobiography of a yogi and um doing all kinds of weird Kriya things and I just liked it. And you know, I just kept doing it. I'm still doing it. <laughs> so when did you start
0: moving away from dance and more into yoga?
1: Um, well, they were kind of, uh, parallel tracks, but, but I did get, I did, you know, get a, a BFA and an MFA in dance. And then I got a grant to go to New York in 1978. And so I was, you know, primarily a dancer, but I was always teaching yoga because, you know, if you're a dancer or an actor, you have to have another job. And I was a terrible waitress. So, um, I started teaching yoga, and it was pretty much like that for a long time. But in the late 80s, I met my Tibetan Buddhist guru, Galik Rinpoche, and um, I was just completely compelled to study with him and to learn those practices. And I, I, I did what you're supposed to do. I practiced like my hair was on fire. I was just really, really into it. You know, I guess in yoga we call that tapas. And, um, and, and I got more into that than, than dance and the dance world was changing. The funding had been cut by the NEA, thanks to the government, uh, you know, and, and it was just changing. I think the eighties were like the heyday of dance Mm -hmm. in New York. And I was, I was in that, but by the end of that, it was kind of, it was kind of shifting and it wasn't as much fun and it wasn't as rewarding. And I prefer to just dance around in my living room. And in the meantime, my dances were starting to look like yoga. And the content was drawn from my Buddhist uh, studies. And it became obvious to me at a certain point that I, my mind had turned toward the Dharma. And, um, and you know, I like vinyasa yoga. It satisfies my movement, Jones. So uh, that worked out.
0: I think many uh, yoga teachers can relate to that. I know I had a situation similar that I was performing for a long time and when I started to argue with myself about okay I really should go take dance class but I'd really rather go take a yoga class. And then when it came to even getting shows and I thought well if I get the show I'm going to have to give up my yoga classes and that was kind <laughs> of a <laughs> like well maybe we got to reevaluate things. Right, so can right. you talk a little bit about your path to opening om?
1: Well, um, so I started teaching yoga, you know, more part time, but more. And eventually I decided to stop dancing and um, I started teaching more. And then I was teaching all over town and a lot of yoga teachers in New York will understand this, you know, the schlep just gets to be a drag, you know, you're uptown for an hour or an hour and a half, and then you're way downtown or across town and, um, you know, going into people's homes for privates and sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes there's cats and babies and it's, you know, it's complicated. So, um, so I was really feeling like, uh, I needed my own place and I rented a little place and other yoga teachers were using classes there. And then I started, um, Allison West and I went over to the Shambhala Center and rented space together. I think she was at 10 and I was at 12. Um, You know, sort of moving in that direction. But I do have to credit my ex-husband with giving me the nudge to move in that direction. And that was his nickname, Nudgy. Um, (laughs) Because I never, uh, I don't have a background in business. um, And I'm sort of such an artsy type that... You know, business is, was kind of like a not a good word to me. You know, it's like it's was not something I related to. My parents weren't business people. So he sort of encouraged me to do it and helped me get the courage um, because I had a very clear vision. Um, I know you're going to ask me about community coming up. One of the things that was interesting is I had a clear vision of what I didn't want to do but I didn't yet have a clear vision of what I did want to do. What was it Uh, you didn't want to do? I didn't want to have a Hindu based yoga studio because I was a Buddhist, a Buddhist practitioner. And it's not that I don't think that's awesome, but it wasn't my practice. Mm -hmm. So that shifts the way that, uh, the material unfolds for me, because as you know, from being there and teaching at home, um, the the content of the class is um, a fusion of buddha dharma principles and yoga dharma and um so so i was really drawn to doing that and i talked to my teacher Gallup rinpoche and he he told me you know he gave me his blessing but he told me what i couldn't say and what i could say and you know because there are certain teachings at different levels and and so I was, you know, I was really wanting to do that. I also didn't want to do the opposite extreme, which was be like a gym with mm-hmm. no spirituality. So, you know, so there was a different path and I didn't know how to language that or define that, but I knew, I started by knowing what I, what I did, wanted to do different than the places I'd been teaching.
0: And so then when did you open the place on, um, gosh, was it the 14th street? I remember some place. I re- really early in my study finding of oh, I remember my yep. first class was with Joe Miller and I was like checking up a couple of floors and I'm like, this is cool. It was kind of gritty. And, and I, I
1: really loved it. Well, Joe wasn't a teacher at the beginning. He took teacher training. Um, I think probably this, maybe the second, second or third year that we had that were open. Um, but, uh, it opened in 98 Okay, so I probably found it around two
0: thousand two thousand one, and then you guys moved to Union Square, not right. soon after that, like pretty soon after that. Yeah, we moved in two thousand two. Yeah, yeah, I remember the new space. It was huge. <laughs> it
1: was huge, and it was funny because when we were in the old space, which was gritty, and um, you know the toilet was funky, and the elevator was everything about it was pretty funky. Um but, but we started there and so mm-hmm. people complained all the time about what was wrong with it, but then when we moved to the new place they were like, This is too fancy, this is too nice then um, they complain about that. <laughs> yeah. People are going to
0: complain no matter what you give them. That's what I've
1: discovered as a
0: business that's owner. Part, that's part of the
1: community bonding. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, that's I think actually why the community is so huge at PYC because you're pregnant. You're like, Oh, this hurts or new mama. Oh, this hurts. So uh, what is it that inspired the style of Ohm? So I'm guessing it's a lot of the Buddhist and the dance. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, Ohm, I always define Ohm. Now I do have language for it. Um, as uh having three parts that are that are braided together not necessarily linear and one is vinyasa and one is precise alignment or precise attention to alignment and the third uh is my meditation practices of mindfulness and compassion so um this is just me you know basically uh and i think that's why i didn't know how to define it at first cuz you know it's like trying to write your own bio mm-hmm. you know somebody else tells you all these interesting things about you and you can't think of anything so um basically the vinyasa is is movement um and that's my dance background i like to do that i think um it's fun and you get sweaty and it feels good and um and then there's benefits you know i can i can always um Think of vinyasa as to place in a special way, which also means mindfulness, which means paying attention which means understanding that Everything is interdependent that this action leads to that action and sets up the causes and conditions for the next action Um, So that's vinyasa and then alignment as you know is important it organizes skin, muscles, and bones so that what flows should and what shouldn't flow doesn't. And um, and in a million other ways, you know, you can think about alignment, uh, just how you come into class and how you feel when you leave class. Um, you're a little bit more in alignment with your world. And then mindfulness, which really is already, in my way of teaching, integrated into that. And compassion which is really an invitation for students to, um, you know, be generous with themselves and for teachers to model that.
0: I think the way you've organized it and now, the language you're using really resonates. And I do think, unfortunately, it's not enough vinyasa classes you were so articulate with your intention of it and the teaching and again as a and I'm kind of jumping around in our our list of questions but as a teacher now that I have a lot of teachers coming in for training I really miss seeing that intelligence in a lot of the teaching that comes that I'm seeing I, I feel like there's and it makes me sad um because I feel people can get hurt. And I feel like it's become this huge business and people are just cranking out students, you know, teachers. And yeah. and now that I'm, uh, I, so I've moved away from New York. I mean, I'm still in New York with the studio, but I live now in New Jersey. I jumped ship. And I'm finding a really hard time finding really good teachers. And it makes me sad that people just don't a lot of students, a lot of teachers are not giving their students really the foundation. And Om really did. Like you understood how to combine vinyasa, the flow, with alignment. You know, because I also love yeah. Iyengar and I love the alignment. But I also, as, uh, as a former dancer, I miss the dancing. And so Ohm really intelligently put those two together. And it's such a loss that it's not there. And it's such a loss that that, that art is not being taught anymore.
1: You know, I mean, I have to admit, it makes me feel good that you say that. <laughs> of course, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just—I um, don't know if you remember um, Marley McGovern. She was an own teacher, and uh, she works. Uh, if you hear some weird snorting, that's what sort of my my Is beagle. Is that Leroy? My no, girl. <laughs> now, Leroy just kind of snorts, and then a little bit the beagle uh, snores and and makes interesting sounds. <laughs> that's uh, anyway. Okay, and then they cough. And they're old. <laughs> they're my babies. Um, yeah, she was saying the same thing that that there ha- nothing has replaced that um, that place and that method uh, and that approach that approach to movement and I think that uh, it, it does make me sad too. I think that you know it's just everything changes and we can still practice that way, but uh, the teachings. So many people, even people that come and take teacher training. From me, they don't have the big studio that we had. So they take teacher training, but they're also taking lots of classes, and all the teachers are teaching that way. So it becomes, you know, you really embody this approach, which I think is a really, you know, real integration of body, breath, and mind. Um, and that's what I'm interested in, and. If you take teacher training from me and then you don't have the opportunity to keep taking classes from me, you know, people are learning from um, Instagram, you know, and so it, it focus shifts and the ground isn't there. And, you know, it is what it is, but. Yeah. It makes me sad too.
0: (laughs) I just, you know, it's for the bigger picture of yoga that the teacher trainings often I'm seeing just are not giving the foundation for teachers to look at a student and say, all right, something's clearly wrong, but do I have the language as to how to fix it? And if they don't fix it, it's giving the message to the student that you're doing it right. And then over time, they're going to hurt their body. So I I see that as a growing problem in in the yoga community
1: don't learn enough to actually not this is of course a gross generalization but some people don't learn enough to give them the confidence to really be a teacher and you know i used to always say be bossy which was just you know kind of a cute fun way to to encourage people that are teachers that this is your room you need to protect everyone in it and use whatever skillful means you have from a compassionate place so you know, I mean, even the notion of if somebody's out of alignment, how can I help you to find this and feel this and understand the process? And that's, uh, you know, if, if you just take a training and you don't get that kind of other transmission mm-hmm. from the teacher who's training you, then you don't have it. Yeah, you, you definitely
0: us. you definitely pushed us, which, which I appreciated. Uh, I'm going to yeah. shift a little bit back to something that you – did in your classes at home that I also drew upon is that you always started the class with a short Dharma talk or theme. Um, and that's a huge part, especially since our three prongs, as you have your three, our three are, um, the asana, the childbirth education, the community. So we start all our classes with a little Dharma talk, something about childbirth ed. Cause that's where they're all, all leading. What was it a conscious choice or what led to that choice to have that as a start of class?
1: Um, You know, as with so much of what I I did, it was organic. Um, I did take a lot of classes at Jiva Mukti. Mm -hmm. And and I really loved, especially taking classes from Sharon Gannon. And she teaches that way, or she did then. um, And I was inspired by that. But also, um, the more that I started practicing um, Buddhism, I... I started to really think of the via, the body as a vehicle for the mind, you know? Um, and w- when you move, you know, one of the, one of the um, definitions of Asana is to sit with what comes up. So you put your body in this shape and then you sit with that. What is happening? What's coming up right now? It's a practice of being present, of seeing things as they are, not craving not pushing away, not leading, not following, not ignoring. Um, so to me, that's that's the practice. Um, so it it's a dharma practice.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, Buddha dharma, yoga dharma, all mixed up together. Um, hopefully, neither getting watered down, but both you know being enriched and you know integrated. So I don't think it was a choice. I think it was just I, I was on fire with this. You know, I Rubichet used to come to New York every Tuesday. He lives in Michigan. We come every Tuesday and give a talk, and then I was te- I would teach on Wednesdays, and I started to notice, like every, you know, what he what I learned was coming out in the yoga class because it was it was uh, obvious that that's what we're working with, you know. And otherwise, it's like what Judith Lasseter says: you're exercising with yoga shapes, right? Yeah. Hey, but it's
0: not yoga. Right. I, I loved, and I still remember some of the teachers when I was there, um, Christy and Margie, like Christy especially, was really great at starting off with a little story. And it's something mm-hmm. that I embraced. And it's now very much a part of my teaching. And I also think it gives uh, a transparency to the students that you're not any like great guru. You're just, a, you're on the same page. And I right. think that really helped. And it's going to kind of catapult us to our next topic about community, that In some studios, they even have a stage and the teachers above. I'm very much about being on the same plane and not using what I call, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, the yoga voice, because then you're not relatable. And so I think having that relatable conversation at the beginning sets up for a a person-to-person experience. So, and that leads me into, was it a conscious choice to make Om very community-based or did it just happen?
1: Well, I mean, I think it happened, but I think it happened because of how we set up the, you know, the whole situation. Um, I mean, I'm so grateful to Ricochet because so much of what I did and do, um, I, I, it just kind of came out of me because I was around him so much. And one thing that he always does is um, if anybody comes in late, he says, come on, come on in. Here's a space for you right here, Right. Um, and it doesn't matter if you come an hour late, he'll do that, you know? And the, the other thing is he never liked sitting up high. He's a high llama from Tibet. You know, he's like a big deal. I didn't know this for 20 years. You know, I just thought he sits a great buddhist teacher you know and i found out that he's like very important but he's just rinpoche you know but eventually you know his students built a little platform because we couldn't see him and we wanted to see him because there were so many people um but but so that's been my model for a lot of things and uh i don't like to be on a stage because i feel like i'll fall off (laughs) You know, they're just these little platforms and I don't need a stage. I'm not going to stay there anyway because I'm walking around the whole class. And I think that is a big um, difference in how Ohm teaches and some other kinds of styles where the teacher does not walk around. The teacher is doing the practice uh, and So I don't. I don't need a stage. I don't. You know. You mean sometimes the classes were so full that there was only enough room for my ass. (laughs) You know, just cross my legs and sit down. But it was fine because you're. You know, mingling the whole time, walking around, adjusting, and looking at people and being with them, and that's the joy of it. You know, who wants to be a teacher if you're not actually teaching? Yeah, I might as well put a video on then. Yeah, I mean, and it would just be so boring. You know, like it's really all, it's a conversation and, um, it, it nourishes me as a teacher, you know, as much as the students. Yeah. I want to touch on what you just
0: said. It really resonated with me, the nourishing you as a teacher. So, um, you know, we've all gone through challenges in our lives especially, uh, and I know you've been divorced. I got divorced, um, a while ago. I'm remarried now. Uh, but during that pretty challenging time, I actually found it was my teaching that really was my place of solace because I was so connected and present with the students that it took me out of my own issues. And I, and I think that is a sign that you're really in the right place, you know, when you can really be present and having that connection. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that with your own teaching that that really took you to through a
1: challenge. Yeah. I think that I had a recent example of that. Uh, which was really uh, a gift because I was not happy, and I'm still not happy about the results of our recent presidential election. And um, that was on, you know, Tuesday, terrible Tuesday. On Wednesday, uh, I was in a total depression. And on uh, Friday, I went to Kripalu to teach a weekend of Yoga Body, Buddha, Mind. And I had about 100 students. I had five or six assistants that were all close, you know, students of mine that have taken uh, two and 300 hour teacher training. And just to be in that bubble, and unabashedly say so, but you know, to be in that um, community, large community, um, at Kripalu with everybody pretty much, you know, uh, in communion around, uh, feeling sad or confused or, you know, um, ungrounded was, was really healing. And I don't usually use that word healing, but that's the word that came to me, you know? Um, and it was, it, it, it enriched me and it, and it, it informed my teaching, you know, just to be so raw mm-hmm. and, um, and to say, and I said something about it, uh, I mean i I didn't say anything uh, too specific because there could be lots of different people in the room, but one woman raised her hand and she said, "I just really appreciate it that you mentioned the election. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be um, you know be like the elephant in the room, otherwise, And to just you know just say the word and then we could all feel what we feel." And that was really a gift of being able to teach that weekend. I taught the day
0: after that Wednesday morning to a lot of, you know, to pregnant women, moms, and it was sad. It was very sad. So uh, I don't know if you know Amy Cuddy. Um, She does this. She did a TED talk. I think you'd like it about power poses. So I pulled all these power poses into class and it really helped us shed the feeling of unempowered.
1: Yeah. And really
0: kind of get grounded again. Nice. I'm going to send you her information. I think you'd like that. I'm going to shift back a little bit to um, the OM training. So mm-hmm. as I've mentioned, I do feel it's near and dear to my heart that it's it really informed my teaching. I think it's a very, very solid training, um, very thoughtful. Can you talk a bit about your philosophy into creating the program and your goals for your graduates?
1: Mm. Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> the the philosophy of this teacher training is that it is a professional teaching program, uh, focusing on, you know, yoga. So it's, you know, I always tell people, you're going to learn more about yoga, lots more about yoga, the study and the practice. You're going to get to practice a lot more. Your practice is going to get stronger inside and out in every way. But at the end of this program, you're going to be ready to walk into a class and teach. And of course, different people have different um, developmental processes, but that's, that is the goal. Um, And so I think this is distinctive from some programs where people, they learn a lot of cool stuff. You know, they learn about Ayurveda and they learn about diet and they learn about, you know, whatever, but they don't learn to teach yoga and to me that's not a yoga teacher training that's a really interesting deepening your yoga practice immersion something you know like that so and i know how to do this and i feel very confident and i you know at this point i'm i'm pretty confident but you know I'm getting more confident all the time <laughs> because i i went to college and i got an a bfa and an mfa in dance and mfa in dance a big part of that and I was fortunate to go to one of the best dance schools in the country, University of California at Irvine. So had really amazing teachers. Um, you learn how to teach. You make class plans, and you learn how to teach beginner, beginner, intermediate, intermediate, every level. And you get, uh, you know, I remember my teacher Eugene Loring was a very famous choreographer. You know, he did his famous was Billy the Kid. You know that ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, he was our teacher, you know, and if you put one little movement in, um, an, a beginner class that shouldn't be there, you, you got, you know, you never forgot that <laughs> that was wrong. So I learned really well how to develop a syllabus for the studio. Um, you know, and you had that, this is what, these are the elements in this level of class, et cetera, as well as how to teach those um, in a sequential way. And so I think, you know, I was trained that way. And, um, and so I could figure out how to do that.
0: One thing I find interesting again, uh, so I think I've been doing my prenatal training somewhere like 10, 10, 11, 12 years, something in that. And I'm often surprised that a lot of the teachers have not taught a full class. So one of the things that you have us do it or had us do at OM was at the end we taught a full, which is interesting. It's not even a full class for most people anymore. It's 140 minutes. Now there are a lot of places are dropping down. We still stick to 130, but our, our 90 minute class is often the first time people have taught a full class. And so that's one aspect, you know, they have to actually teach, but it's also interesting that you really taught us how to use the language of instruction. Instead of, you can't just say, you know, pull back to downer dog because a brand new beginner doesn't know that, you know, they don't even know what that is. So, yeah. oh, well, really they taught how yeah. to look at the body and use the words. And I feel, yeah. again, that's a bit lost. Well,
1: yeah. And that's is crucial. I mean, just to correct you, it wasn't an hour, it wasn't 140 minutes. No, it, was it was an hour
0: and 40 minutes. An
1: hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Was... um. Uh, um You know, this is really one of the defining elements of practice, I think. Any practice, whether it's asana, pranayama, yamas, you know, practicing, uh, you know, not being greedy, whatever, um, is not just what you do. It's not just what you do that's important. It's how you do what you do. And so a lot of the teaching um, skill sets that I try to transmit to the teacher trainees are not just don't say this, do say that, but teaching them to model this so that you don't have to say to the students, it's not just what you do. It's how you do what you do. They're manifesting that. And so you manifest that in your instruction. That's one way. So, you know, sometimes people will say, I hear in a yoga class, maybe someone will say, be mindful or, Something like that. That's not a. That's not teaching. That might be an instruction, but it's not really teaching. And um, teaching would be, give me a path. How can I be mindful? Help me recognize when I'm not mindful. What is you know whatever the instruction is. So our te- role as teachers is to point the way. Um, you know I, I remember this play that I went to where there was a chair and they, they called the chair, um, Veronica or something. I can't remember the name, but it was like something like that. And that's the point is, you know, you can say chair, but if somebody doesn't know what it is, you might as well call it Veronica. You have to, you have to paint the picture. You have to unroll the carpet. You have to point to the moon, um, to be a yoga teacher, you know, and really teach and don't just say, go to the moon.
0: You nailed it, which is, I think, maybe one of the reasons where people say, oh, she's a yoga instructor. I kind of get a little itchy. I'm Uh like, I'm a teacher. (laughs) That's funny. You really really nailed that. I'm going to shift a little bit um, talking about how yoga currently is in our country. So you created the ohm training uh, before yoga Alliance was created. I had to recently shift my prenatal training because yoga Alliance was something people are interested. What do you think about the boundaries and the accreditation that yoga Alliance has created for teacher training?
1: Well, it's just an ongoing um, struggle for me, <clears throat> but I think in my old age, older ish, age ish, Um, I'm trying to let go of that struggle just because, uh, it makes me and everyone around me crazy. Uh, but, but actually what I think is, (laughs) I, I don't think it's helped us. I, I, I don't think it's helped the yoga community. I think that is the mission. And I know some of the people that work there and in particular one person who's worked there for a long time and she's very sincere and that is what they want to do. But I don't think it's working because instead we've got this grid and you fill in the boxes and anybody and their brother can fill in that box. And in fact, you can job the whole thing out. You can be a business owner and you can get this person and that person and this person and that person and slot them in. And, um, and, and then you got a yoga teacher training. And it's not yoga, it, that's not yoga. Yoga is like meditation, it's a mouth to ear practice. You know, I mean, my editor wouldn't like me saying that maybe because I wrote some yoga books. <laughs> but really, you can't learn yoga from a book, you can't learn yoga from a video, you can only learn yoga from another humanoid who is a real yogi whatever that means i don't i want to sort of take that back and actually because that seems judgmental to say a real yogi but someone who's practiced and studied and steeped in the practice um so you know once you get those requirements checked off then you can you can graduate and you can be a teacher trainer and I actually had a meeting with Yoga Alliance a couple of years ago, and I said, you guys need to grandfather all the senior teachers in this country and in the world. And they said, well, we're in the process of doing that. And described the process to me, and I was like, that's ridiculous. These people are the ones who have written the books that everyone's using for their teacher trainings. You've approved the people giving the teacher trainings. You've got to approve the people that wrote the books, mm-hmm. you know, and they they didn't see a path to that so it's cutting off the the wisdom you know and uh i don't think it's i think it's dumbed it down
0: yeah i got grandfathered in i never took what is called a real 200 hour training cuz i started so long ago um what i ended up with doing with you is i had already been a teacher and then i did the advanced training but you know i guess those of us that started how long ago, like 16, 17 years ago, they didn't really have a structured 200 hour, but you're right. It's, it's really created. And I remember I was invited into a prenatal conversation. It was, um, prenatal and children's yoga and a yoga alliance wanted to hear what we had to say about it. And I was a little upset that they didn't want to take in consideration the childbirth ed part. I said, you know, for prenatal, we're not just teaching asana, but we want to educate them. And that's a major part of the education. And that's not included in many. I had to kind of push that yeah. in my own, so yeah it's it's been a bit of a a struggle and something to chew on
1: well you know from from the very beginning, and I remember the very beginning um uh they they w- did have some requirements, and I think that ohm is like the something that I think they told me it's the three hundredth yoga studio to be um registered, so you know that was about. 2000 and um, they they said we love your program we want to take your program it's so awesome but we're not going to count any of the buddhist studies this was back in the day when you, you remember nobody else was doing buddhism and yoga it it just wasn't it was unusual and um they didn't recognize it they said oh, we think it's lovely it's a sister practice but well we can't count that So, you know, our program was never 200 hours. It was like 284 hours um, because we also did, you know, what they did accept, which was the sutras. And I think that's good. But, you know, they said, why don't you why don't you read the Bhagavad Gita? I said, that's that's not yoga. That's Sindhi. So, uh, you know, I had that struggle. And then they then they grandmothered me in. But then they have their new system with their new website and it says that I've been a yoga teacher for five years or something. <laughs> and I said, you got to correct that. And they were like, well, well our, our computer doesn't recognize anything before the year that you joined this computer program. So, you know, I've been in that computer program for five years, but I, you know, so. ah, Yeah. It's yeah.
0: frustrating. Yeah. That kind of leads me into the idea of talking about, so you've been doing yoga for, many years. Um, and you've really seen a growth. I feel like even in my short time, I've seen a growth. Uh, can you talk about the shift that you've seen in the American approach to yoga from when you've started to where it is now?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I think that the main thing I see, and it's not just American, um, at all. It's, I see it, in Asia and in Europe, um, is the lack of lineage, the lack of teacher, uh, you know, like a real, <clears throat> as I said, like a teacher who's who a teacher who had a teacher, you know, like like a lineage, um, and so that there's a very different grounding to students that have had a teacher. I'm not saying that you if you're if you're an Omi, for example, you shouldn't take. Iyengar classes, but there's a grounding. There's, um, you know, a, a senior teacher or master teacher, if you will, who you can always get in touch with and ask questions and continued guidance. You know, I have lots of students that you know all over the world that took teacher training from me ten years ago, and they're still in touch. And um, that's lacking. You know, it's like you go in, you take your class, your training, you're done. And then you're supposed to know, you know, they don't even go to class anymore. Everyone's practicing at home. That's a big thing, home practice. I'm not crazy about home practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, back when yoga journals started putting out videos, they started writing a lot of articles. Home practice, you're a real yogi if you do home practice. I think you could be a real yogi who gets injured if you do home practice. Or a real yogi who's not, you know, doesn't understand how to do the postures you know, it's good to have a teacher. Um, and so people are practicing at home and then, and, you know, and I have videos online, so, you know, there it is, but, um, and then we're making them shorter. And I think that's a change that's also good. And, um, I think that's mostly good, actually, shorter practices for several reasons. Um, one is more people can do yoga, you know, and not everybody needs to be a hardcore yogi, you know, but they can still get a lot of benefits from shorter practices. And then there's, you know, a lot of studies coming out now saying you get more benefit if you do a uh, 10 minute, 10 to 20 minute um, chunklets of movement throughout your day than if you do an hour run in the morning or a 90 minute yoga class. So, I think that if you want to be a yogi and you want to get the integration of mind and body and breath and and steeped in the in the yoganess, uh, you know, the suchness of yoga, then uh, then you're going to go to a longer class. But if you are a regular person who would like to get some of the benefits of yoga, I think shorter classes can be useful. So that's a change I see as well. Yeah. One thing I've
0: noticed, um, so I used to call Sharon and David uh, Mr. Mrs. Mukti. Um, So I look at like certain studios really did have that founder there to continue. And I feel like I don't see that quite as much anymore. It's more maybe a business owner. Um, one, One conscious choice that OM really helped me with my studio is I wanted to always stay present there. Like you were always part of OM. Even if you were back in the office, you were still part of the community. And that's something I I kept. Um, but one thing I know, and I heard a different interview you did is that when you opened your new studio, you made it smaller. And one reason I opened prenatal yoga center instead of, I wanted something small and very, uh, niche oriented. I didn't want to have to compete with the big, huge, massive studios. So when you shifted gears to your new studio now, was that something that you consciously did? You didn't want to have to be enormous?
1: Um, you know, where I live is so completely different than where you live. There's, you know, the population is 78,000. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> A lot of those people are never going to do yoga. It's a very different culture it's Southern culture. I didn't realize Central Virginia was Southern, but it is, <laughs> and it's very different. so I mean, I had a huge class on Tuesday night. I had twenty people that was huge. Um, I might have six people you know it's it's a really smaller community. Um, it's an old downtown that fell into disrepair and is coming back. Um, there's not, you can't have lots of classes during the daytime people work, you know, it's just, it's, it's more of a suburban, it's a city, but it's it sort of has a suburban vibe. So the choice there, that wasn't a choice. That was like, that's what you can do here. You know, <laughs> um, there's just. You know there's not the population, there's not the um economy that there is in the Northeast. But I was thinking, because I didn't know when I found out Owen was gonna close, I didn't know what I was gonna do. Um, and that was one idea that came to my mind that I liked the best was just to get a very small space that no more than 15 people could fit into. Um, no sign, no nothing. Um I told Michael Laskaris this, and he said it's a speakeasy, and I was like, "Yeah, the yoga speakeasy." And some people have teased me. They said, "Well, you actually ended up with a yoga speakeasy because you're you're hidden in Central Virginia, you know." <laughs> um, but I just I wanted. I think I was reacting, as you are, to um, the shift in the way that yoga is. And what people are looking for, a lot of people are looking, what they're looking for in yoga and what I want to offer. And, um, and I still want to offer that same thing. And so people, I feel like people will find it, you know, that's the tradition. My friend Philip Glass, you know, we used to do yoga together. His teacher was Swami Bua, uh, who at the time that I was doing yoga with Phil, I think Swami Bua was already like, you know, 85 or something. He was very old. And people would find him, you know, through word of mouth, you would find Swami Bua and go uptown into his apartment to do yoga. So yoga will always be here. And, um, I think there are times when it's interesting to go underground, you know?
0: Yeah. I've been having people say like, you know, why don't you get a really big space and expand and expand? And I started to look at spaces and I got terrified. Um, I, I, I didn't want to suddenly double, triple my rent. I wanted something that I knew I could sustain. And I mean, it's been there for over 14 years. And I think part of it was keeping it small and some people get their feathered, you know, their feathers ruffled when they come in and it's basically one room. Uh, But it's allowed us to, to keep going and it really creates a very intimate relatable community. And I'm really thankful for that.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that was a wise decision, honestly. And, um you know every decision you make isn't forever anyway but if you take a big space and you get into debt that seems like it's forever paying off (laughs) debt you know and i i think that um you know what i get a lot is questions from students uh you know that were that took teacher training for me so questions from teachers who say my students want to sweat more my students want me to turn up the heat Or I have a yoga studio. I need, you know, do I need to turn up the heat? Do I have to offer hot yoga? Do I have to offer this? Do I, should I play louder music? Um, They they are afraid that if they hold their seat and they offer their practice, that they will lose their market share, basically. Um, And, you know, I think that's a real question for a lot of teachers these days is can they can they teach what they practice or do they need to teach something else and you know i i know some people that have a bit i know one person who has like three huge studios and she offers lots of things that she doesn't uh practice herself but she has a very successful studio and it supports her family so that's a, her good decision and other people are like mm, i have to just i have to i can only teach what i know and um so, I think it's everybody's you know personal decision
0: yeah i I went to the I teach what I know because it again i i've kind of, I, gosh I parallel you in so many ways you know I have a degree in musical theater there's absolutely no business background there at all, and it was my my ex husband that kind of really uh, instigated the whole studio and its success uh so it feels safer to me. And I don't know if that's what most business people would say, but being able to teach what I know allows me that at the end of the day, if something happens, I could step in and really still haul forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that you might have a personality similar to mine, which is, um, you know, there's sometimes, I wish I had a different personality (laughs) because I'm strong, but, um, you know, I, I know what I know. And I, I, am sure that I don't know what I don't know, but, um, but if, if, but if I have lots of different teachings going on in my studio and someone comes into my room, uh, you know, to take a class and they're doing something that I don't think is safe or that uh, doesn't make sense to me that I wouldn't like to teach or like to offer, uh, I don't. You know, it just seems like it's too complicated. You know, like, let's just have some consistency here. But also, then you're giving a lineage. Then you're giving a school. You know, my one of my favorite things that ever happened to me was I took um, I took my ex-husband out for Father's Day dinner one time because he's a father. And we went to a very nice restaurant. And the maitre d', um and I made the reservation, you know, so the maitre d'. Called my name and we came up and he said, "Oh, you know that's so interesting that your name is Cindy Lee. The woman who owns my yoga studio is also named Cindy Lee." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I think that might be me, you know." And so then he realized that and he told me that he um, started. He's lost six had lost sixty pounds wow. since he started yoga. He started as a beginner and he could hardly move. And he was up to intermediate, and he. It had completely enhanced his life tremendously and that he was planning to take teacher training, hoping one day to take teacher training. And that's what you can do if you have a studio where there is a consistency of offering among the teachers. You know, with, otherwise you, you teach them all. But if they're learning all different things, I think it's very difficult for people to get on a path. And that is a teaching. That's a basic Buddhist teaching. You, know, you go and you shop around. When you find something that you think is is a diamond, is a jewel, you test it. You know, you test the teacher, you take did you hear a little bit just <laughs> keep going. Um, you know, like if it's a diamond, you scrape, see if you can you cut glass with it, see if you can break it, you test it, and if it if it is, then you then you stick with that. You stick with that and then you become enriched by that. So uh I just, that, that is my nature to have that. And it sounds like it is yours too. Other people are not like that. They're like, okay, it's okay. I can have all these different things and I'm cool with it.
0: Yeah. It's really amazing to me that it was so many years ago that I was started with Ohm and that it's still very much parallels a lot and it, how much it has really informed my teaching and my decision-making with my studio. I mean, I don't think you, I mean, we worked together just so briefly when we did our teacher training that I taught there for a bit. And then I kind of got consumed with um, getting married and kids and Mm have my studio, but it really, I really appreciate it. I want to ask just a couple more questions. So, for a while, there was this kind of, and there still is a bit, of the big kind of yoga star circuit. And you were very much in it. Was it a conscious choice to step back a little bit? Was that when you moved down to the south? Because I'm noticing you're not doing quite as much as you used to.
1: Well, <clears throat> I'm not traveling as much as I used to because I used to live in the village. And you get, you step outside, you get a taxi, and in you know, 20 minutes I was at Newark Airport. And I had so many miles, so many frequent flyers. I almost always could fly first class, which is really bad because then you get addicted to it. But, (laughs) you know, so I could get on a plane, get in first class, have a glass of champagne, fall asleep and wake up in Tokyo. You know, I mean, it was that simple. But I live the town that I live in now is the big is the only town that's this big in the United States and doesn't even have you know, an interstate. So it's not that easy to get even in and out of here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can drive on sort of small roads. Um, We have an airport that flies only to Charlotte, North Carolina and back. Um, You know, it's a, it's a real pain in the arse. Um, So that's part of the reason. Um, Part of the reason was um, I did that a lot. And, um, I I think really what's happened is I have a new marriage and I really love being home with my husband and, um, you know, it's really beautiful here. We go for bike ride, you know, it's a nice life. It's a nice life. And also I've gotten to a place in my career where I have more invitations than I can accept. And so I... I'm going to places where I have a long time relationship and that's so fulfilling to me. It's not that fulfilling to me to teach at a conference where you teach two hours and half the people are there just to see if they're into you at all or into what you have to offer and then they're not, you know, or, you know, whatever. Um, I just feel like I have something to offer that is probably more useful if I can work with people that, want what i have to sell basically you know
0: absolutely yeah i mean <laughs> life has its its you know you turn a corner you might be like okay i did that it was yeah. great and it's a shift just like you shifted out of dance to yoga yeah. and then within your yoga journey you make a different shift i yeah. can relate to that
1: i also um have been in a buddhist chaplaincy program for the last two years which i'm gonna finish in march knock on wood but um and that's been really really rigorous and really intense it's it takes place at upaya zen center in santa fe i went to santa fe five times last year you know i mean i'm really studying and practicing buddhism very deeply and how to walk that the walk um of uh, of a chaplain so you know i'm pulled in that direction and you know, and then this uh, this idea of st- of of sticking into one boat, you know I have a lot of students who've done that. so for example, I'm going to go I go to Berlin almost every year. I didn't go to Europe last year, but um, I go to Berlin almost every year, and I have you know tons of students there, and people come uh, you know up. Like the whole gang of people come from Turkey and from London and, you know, and it's this great European community. And I've been working with them for years. So it gets richer and richer all the time. So, you know, I'll I'll go there this year. and, And it's like if you if you're a student, you pick one teacher at a certain point. But if you're the teacher that they pick, you also have a commitment to those students. So I feel that. Uh, is more important and more meaningful for me than to, to do a, probably to do like wanderlust or, you know, no, yoga. I
0: understand. Yeah. So where can you, where can people find you and what are you up to now? So again, we probably have some new students because a lot of these people that are listening to this are probably, you know, prenatal students that might listen to you and be like, Oh, I kind of see this parallel. Um, and then they have their babes and they want to move on. So where mm-hmm. can people find you and study with you?
1: Well, um, they can look at my website, cindylee dot com, um, and I have a yoga studio here in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is called Yoga Goodness Studio. So that website is yogagoodnessstudio.com. dot com. I'll put that in our show notes. Okay, um, and then I, you know, I, I float around. I'm I'm going to be teaching two sections of the 300-hour teacher training at Sacred Sounds in New York. Um, And it's open to the public, and you can come on individual weekends. So, for example, in March, I'll be there doing a weekend. Um, I'm doing more Dharma talks. I'm doing a Dharma talk in New York next week at Jewel Heart. Uh, They can also find me, I have a lot of material now at yogainternational.com, including a new four-week course I'm really proud of called May I Be Happy based on my book. Um, Or you can come and visit me in uh, (laughs) Lynchburg. You know, you get in your car, you can drive here, and it's gorgeous. I have this teacher's retreat every year. We have a lot of fun, you know, walking along the river and just being here. Um, And what I'm into, I'm really into um, I'm really into Buddha Dharma uh, more than ever. And um, you know, taking this program with Roshi Jonas pushed every button I've had and more. And so it's been, you know, I've hate loved it. Um, but, but mostly loved it. And, uh, and my teachings are reflecting that deepening as well. Um, and I'm, and I'm into writing and i working on a new book right now and there's another one in the queue right after that wow you are busy you have not slowed down <laughs> I haven't slowed down but you know I think almost a, where I live now it's almost like being on retreat mm-hmm. you know it's very quiet sometimes you know I really consider myself a New Yorker and sometimes it's so quiet here I get freaked out but um I can go sit in the chocolate shop downtown and write and it's good you know it's a,
0: it's good well I'm gonna, nice. I'm gonna try to now that I find out you're here for is it March for the Sacred Sound? I'm gonna yeah. try to get in get in for that. Organizing life with kids is uh, in the suburbs now is yep. a little yep. more challenging. I have two kids now. Two and five. Oh there and the studio. It's it's a handful. But it's I think
1: I remember when you were pregnant.
0: Oh, I was so pregnant. I, just remember, I remember going to OM when I was like 39 weeks. So my belly was just enormous. Yeah, trekking down there. I didn't make it there. You know, obviously, you guys were close by then, but I didn't make it too much after that because, uh, yeah, kids, yeah. they're kids in the circuit and it really changes yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, Cindy, I have so enjoyed talking to you again. I don't know if you knew how much your teaching and OM has influenced me, but it's the reason I wanted you on is because people have asked, you know, what started prenatal yoga center, where, where's my background. And I wanted to, to expose that because OM really was, um, a mirror. I looked at that often as what I worked with and what I loved and I was part of and how I could take a piece of that from my own little place in the Upper West Side. And a lot of your background really parallels with mine. So it was, it was really a pleasure speaking
1: with you. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad that your studio is thriving and you're thriving. And, um, you know, there's a thread of continuation there. It's really wonderful. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope that we can continue to chat another time, but, um, time is starting to run out. And I just want to again, say thank you. And for those that are listening, I'm going to have all of Cindy's information on the show notes so you can continue study with her. All right. Thanks, Cindy. Have a great day. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.